Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello GTA 6, I'm GTA 6. Welcome to the GTA 6 week, where, funnily enough, it's actually the wind-up where I'm Scott Taylor, you're Josh Brown. GTA 6. GTA 6. It's everywhere. And we're not actually going to do a GTA 6 podcast. We are, we have recorded some news already, and we'll probably cover it in maybe the news podcast when we do the main podcast later in the week. Um, and for our foreseeable future, it will be GTA 6. But <laughs> for today, for the wind-up where we do the latest uh, games that we're playing or the latest games on the market and whatever the breaking news stories are, we thought we'd give you a little bit of a reprieve yes. from... Um, the state of things at the minute because GTA 6 did leak over the weekend. 90 videos uploaded online, which you can go find uh, if you can find them before Rockstar and Take 2 do because they've been going on a bit of a copyright spree um, taking all things down. We'll have lots of coverage on the channel. Um, all the audio versions of those will be on the audio feeds themselves. So just just hang fire. <laughs> hang 10. Because um, there's a lot of frame-by-frame analysis going on, mining that stuff for gameplay features, etc., which we'll get into in separate recordings. Um, we thought we'd just do um, all the games that we've been playing. So we'll get to eventually uh, the Modern Warfare 2 Open Beta, Metal Hellsinger, Return to Monkey Island, and Wolong Fallen Dynasty. However, me and you clashed a little bit over the weekend. Clash at the Castle, you might say it's a wrestling reference. Is it? I didn't see the show. And uh, <laughs> I watched it at AEW. But, um, but still, we clashed over the idea of the role of synopsis, synopsi, you might say, in uh, game storefront pages. Because um, it, and we thought we'd do this for the podcast because we definitely very much wind each other up over this subject matter. Yes. Which is to say that I don't read games synopsis ever. This was such a classic us moment because uh, <laughs> to give everyone listening to this a little bit of context, the other day, uh, the last time Scott and I were in the office together, mm. uh, you had finished Immortality, yes. which I raved about. Or as much as I thought I had, anyway. Wind up. Oh, yes, you yes. at least played a good chunk of it yeah. overnight. And we got into a bit of a discussion on that. In fact, it took up all of our lunch <laughs> break and then some, but don't tell our bosses that. No. Uh, where we got into like the game and stuff and we disagreed a lot, but there was one moment in that discussion that floored me and it was when you said uh, I said the game was about if you don't know uh-huh. um, an actress who disappeared and you said no, is it? does it tell me that and yep. I said well it tells you in the description the brief description of the game on the game pass mm-hmm. it tells you in the trailer and you said I don't read descriptions. I just download things. Yes. And that blew my head off. The I, fact that you don't even read the line description of the game before you get it. But please tell me more. Well, if we're talking about things that blew our minds, you uh, resigned certain plot points to the about page on a main on the, on the game's main page, which I said at the time, and I'd want it for the record, is I would only go to an about page if I want to learn about the team that made the game. That's where right. the, the staff are. Yeah. But yeah, the synopsis, I like going into something completely uh, fresh. I'll look at some screenshots. Maybe I'll look at a snippet of gameplay. Maybe I'll get a sentence of what it's about on Twitter or something. But I like just going in off the barest of stuff possible. Same for movies, same for TV shows. I'll do as little as possible. Um, and I just never, I've just never read it. <laughs> read game synopsis. Um, what's the hell's the plural of synopsises? I don't know. I never so, read them. Let's go with synopsis. Alan yeah, okay. um, but yeah, I never read them. Um, I just don't think of it. I look. I say I look at the screenshots. Maybe I'll look at a few seconds of a of a trailer. Yeah. and that's it. And I'll just figure out the game mechanics or what it's about afterwards. My, that was my main thing with immortality. Not to make this an immortality podcast, um, but it was that the core thing you're doing in that game is finding out what happened to this woman who got who went missing, um, using footage of her career. But the game doesn't tell you that's what you're doing. The game just presents itself 
itself as a um, archive of footage and waits for things to happen. Yes. Which they take about half an hour or whatever for that to kick in. And if you're just aimlessly going through footage, um, you don't really know what you're doing. That was why I messaged you in the first place, just saying, what is this? What am I doing? Why am I just rewinding and uh, and zooming into footage or match cutting to find other stuff? Um, which led to you going like, well, I kind of knew why I was doing that because I saw it in the synopsis, um, which my, like, my thing on paper is that it's a fundamental failing of a game right. to not instill some sense of purpose or whatever you want me to get to later on. Yeah. You shouldn't well, be relying on the synopsis or the about page. This is the thing, not to just repeat our off-camera conversation <laughs> about this, but my We'd be here argument, all day. we definitely would be, my argument for this was, in your case, like you didn't get the drive for the game in the game itself. Mm. And that is a totally valid criticism. But my point was, if you wanted that extra bit of information, which I personally don't even think you need and would right. have liked to have not had while playing the game, mm -hmm. what I meant was, if you wanted that extra piece of information, you could have just looked at the trailer or you could have just read the one line description of it on the game pass thing and that's so kind which of I where said we, I shouldn't need to yeah that's kind of where we fractured yeah. and it just kind of blew my mind that you know I understand the appeal of you know just jumping into a game and downloading it mm. but I don't think I've ever, you know, downloaded a game that I know literally nothing about. You know, I don't need to know much, and I'm definitely not searching for a big plot description mm. or anything like that. But I need to know, like, the core, what the core of the game is. Like, you know, we're going to talk mm. about Hellsinger. I needed to know before jumping in that that was a rhythm-based first-person shooter. At right. least, rather than just jumping in based off the, uh, you know, the the cover of the game or anything like that. <laughs> See, whereas like Metal Hellsinger did get me in off the artwork itself. I right. did know it was a rhythm-based shooter because um, you couldn't really get away from that. It was very much led by that. And um, my thing with uh, Immortality is that it, it, it should have just, or could have been a one-sentence descriptor of like, you know, solving the mystery of why this woman went missing, this Hollywood actress went missing. Um, and you don't get any of that. The game just sets you off and says, here's how you rewind, here's how you match cut, and that's it. And they, they want you to stumble into stuff. And when you do, it becomes this thing. That's why I played it for like three hours in one go till about 20 past 2 a.m., um, was because once something happens in that game, um, you're immediately like, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. Okay, I'm hooked and I'll sort this all out. And I had a great time with it. Um, overall, I think it's brilliant. I just think that it's a hell of a risk to not make sure the player knows why they're there. Yes. And I think that um, the fact that they resigned that information, because if you go on the about page, on the inside Immortality, it's almost like a tutorial. It's like, well, yeah. here's, here's what you're doing or whatever. That stuff for me should have been in the tutorial. I think resigning anything to an about page or, or saying, you know, you could have got that purpose elsewhere. That, like, like I said, for me, that's a fundamental failing of the of the game. Like in a movie, when someone says, "Oh, that character didn't make any sense," it's like, "Well, if you read the book, it does this." For me, it's it's extraneous stuff. Right. Like, to me, yeah. it, it's it's not, and and this is why I think it's worth talking about because I think mm. it's so subjective from person to person and how they define their own personal drives for hmm. a game. Like mm -hmm. we talk about that about page, which kind of sets out the kind of core mysteries that the game has to offer. It doesn't say why they happen, but yeah. it kind of gives you a few pointers to look out for. And I read that halfway through playing the game because right. I just thought, you know, why not? It's there. I want to see what the the crack is. Mm -hmm. And I actually regretted reading it because it gave right. me too much context. <laughs> whereas for another player like you, perhaps, that might have been vital context that they needed to have a, a drive mm. in the game. And I think it's interesting because, you know, from personal but just speaking, you know, from my own personal perspective, mm -hmm. when I jump into a game now, I expect to have, like, its purpose to hit me within two minutes and to be handheld throughout mm -hmm. that experience. So even I, who loved Immortality for the first 20 minutes of it, was kind of shocked that I didn't get that. Yeah. And it kind of made me feel an easy, but then I didn't think that was a failing of the game. I thought it was actually a failing of other games to in their kind of way of conditioning us to expect a lot of uh, focus straight yeah. away. And I was kind of thinking like, it's weird that we're at a position, or at least I'm at a position where if I don't get that immediately within the first 10 minutes or something, my mind starts to wander. And I wondered why that is, because it doesn't mm. happen with movies. You know, I, I will give a movie a full two hours before it gets to the point and stick but it, with it. But games are kind of different. Well, I think, that, yeah, but I think because, like, with the movie being passive, you just have to sit there and it'll unfail in front of you. But you would get tired, like, if it was two hours of one character in a room with nothing else. Like, I think you'd feel like you wasted your time, unless you had some profound reaction to that over time. But it's going to unfail in front of you. Whereas, like, invoking player agency, it's an active medium unless... It's just that thing of sitting there going, like, well, I don't know what I, I don't know what you want from me. Right. I want to know what's why I've downloaded this. I right. want to know what this is for. Um, and then, you know, is this the trick that the game plays on you? And arguably it is. Um, 
but for me, the fact that they put all that stuff in the about page and it's on the um, the description or whatever, just put that in the tutorial. Like all you need, because you have a tutorial telling you how to use this archival footage thing. Yeah. All you need is a line in there to say something about, so go forward and look into this woman's career. Something, anything. Right. For, my, for my thing, it's almost like it's a flaw that they put it in the about page because they sort of after the fact went like, well, we're going to actually, well, we are going to have this. We recognize that there's no drive in the main thing and it's here if you want it. But like, like I said to you when we argued about it like the other day, um, anything in an about page, I'm just not going to go there because every other game, it's yeah. the staff credit roll or whatever. I understand that fully. And I guess my final thing <laughs> on this topic would just be to say, I'm so pleased they didn't put that in the tutorial. Right. I like that it's there to find if you need that little mm. bit of drive. And I, I, like I said, you know, I, I wish I didn't see the about page even when I knew two of the three mysteries that I was looking mm. for. You know, I, I almost wish I didn't even see the one-line description before I downloaded the game because I thought the game did a good job of uh, the more you played peeling back layers mm. of those mysteries. And I guess, again, that's why I come back to like the subjective thing is mm. why I want to throw this out to people who are listening mm. in terms of, you know, what do you personally need from a game's opening to hook you in? Do you just need a kind of evocative art style that you kind of want to explore? Mm. Or do you need core motivators like you know a series of mysteries that can drive you forward and i just thought that was interesting the way that we had radically different uh, views on how much information this game needed to mm. tell you to be a success i think as well yeah because i want to round this out like i think my thing is that i'm happy to not have a tutorial i don't need handholdy stuff i don't need anything really i just need to know what my what's available to me i like i said I, my whole issue with it was that it didn't really let you know what you were playing with you had the direct controls but i was like to what end and it's like well you can fast forward and rewind this person's life cool that is cool like all the, the footage that they recreated to uh, be in specific time periods is very very well done but i just i did that for about 20 like 20 minutes and just sort of sat there going like okay <laughs> now what like i don't get it um and that's the thing where like you'll give the game benefit of the doubt and i don't think necessarily that arguing for a handholdy tutorial like you know if you sit there with something you give it about 20 minutes you give it about half an hour um, and it still hasn't presented itself yeah. then i think it's valid to be like well what the what do you actually want from me right and like yeah so i think we'd end up going around and running circles because totally. you would just because the thing is when you do stick with it and it plays its hand, it's an immaculate hand. Yeah. And then when you realize what you're in for and you start kind of having all these interpretations of what you're actually looking at, I get that this is vague as hell. Um, it does work. And they play that card, um, you know, to be like, oh, you're quite lost with this footage, what's really going on. And then bam, you get this incredible reveal. Um, you'd have to kind of just stick with it. Um, it does work overall, but I think that um, like it all kind of rebounded around this idea of what role advertising and marketing and a synopsis plays in a, um, in a game or in a product um, because they're often handled by separate teams anyway, um, especially when trailers get cut for movies or trailers get cut for games. Yeah. Like They're just given a bunch of assets, stitch it together. That's where you get spoilers and trailers and everything. Um, and something like Netflix's descriptions, they're barely ever remotely competent. It's always the most minimal <laughs> thing they can do, um, which is, I guess is one of my reasons that I never factor them in. Right. Um, I'll just go like, I'll just, if it's interesting, I'll dive in, I'll see what it does. Yeah. Um, and my thing with immortality was that it just, it was too aimless. Right. Um, or not communicate, communicating a reason to exist yeah. at the beginning, um, which is also its greatest strength if you can stick with it. Totally. And like, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, feeling lost for the first 20 minutes, mm. like I would agree. I also wondered whether I was playing the game correctly but I was also hooked from the very first scene mm. that you get. And, you know, I think that's the big difference, or the big differentiator that, you know, I was watching the first clip you get in that game and I already wanted to know more <laughs> about these movies, about like these uh, act fake actors that are being talked about. And that was enough to hook me. Mm. But if that's not enough to hook you, that's when you get into the no man's land of, well, I'm just clicking through things and I'm like, and I don't know what to do and I feel confused and frustrated. It's a, it's a bold risk. Well, we, sure. that's the thing. I mean, we will move on from this, but even in that instance, the game's tutorial is like, here's this actress in a TV talk show and the game's still tutorializing. So it's like, hey, you can rewind footage, you can speed it up, you can pause it and you can match cut, which is like pick an element in the scene and it'll match cut to where that, a similar looking item was somewhere else. Um, so even as you're doing that, I'm fast forwarding through that dialogue. I didn't get the stuff that you did because the game's telling me to fast forward and rewind. So I was doing that. And then when I match cut is, um, there's one part where she sort of laughs. She's in this TV interview in the uh, Marissa Marcel, I think is the actress name. Um, she laughed, so I match-cutted her laughing, and it took me to a sex scene. It took me to a different film altogether that she filmed in, like, the 60s, um, and it gave me this, like, sex scene thing. So I was like, okay, I've just triggered this whole, like, naked sex scene thing. This is 
cool or random or whatever. Um, but what the hell am I doing? And it just <laughs> it just compacted that what is this game feeling? And then the game pops up and says, "Congratulations, you've done enough. You're ready to do. You're ready to explore the life of Marissa Marcel." And I'm like, "What do you mean? Like I don't know <laughs> enough of this stuff." Um, but yeah, if anyone else has played through Immortality, um, get in touch with us or let us know what you think of the role that Synopsis plays in games. Do you tend to research much before you dive in? Um, I think for me as well, there's a lot of nuance in if it's a Game Pass thing, if it's PlayStation Plus, if you've paid for it anyway, quote unquote. Right. You might as well dive in um, versus, um, you know, putting a price tag on it. Um, I do want to move into the games that we played, though, because we'll have another discussion about the role of demos and stuff uh, in the future. Because me and you were talking about if you're going to play something anyway, are you better off diving into that full product versus an hour trial and then resume it like a month later or something? And we can get into all that stuff in the future. I think there's going to be a lot of conversations on game leaks and the roles of um, the role that leaks can play in a game's rollout and how early we want to see our games and stuff like that yeah. um, because of the GTA 6 stuff uh, going forward. So I'll revisit that stuff, but I do want to touch on the things that we played, um, which is to say that we both played the Modern Warfare 2 beta, yes. um, the open beta, which we did manage to get in like a day early. They gave us a lovely little code. Yes, Activision sent us two codes, which is very nice of them. And, so a massive uh, shout out to them. We've jumped into it. I, you know, I was expected at least for me, that I was going to enjoy this mm. because uh, 2019's Modern Warfare reboot is maybe my favorite Call of Duty in that Y'all do it, it's a bad, yeah. Because easy. I love the original Modern Warfare uh, 1 and 2, mm. and I you know loved a lot of the Black Ops games, but that just had something extra. It updated the COD formula in a really noticeable way for mm. me, like the way that they changed uh, the feel of weapons to be kind of way more weighty, way more impactful, mm-hmm. uh, that even, you know, games that have come out since then haven't replicated. You know, Cold nope. War didn't replicate that. It went to a more arcadey feel. Totally. In Vanguard, kind of continued it somewhat, but didn't iterate on it that much. Modern Warfare 2, to me, feels like a next-gen version of Modern Warfare 2019, mm. for better or worse. Mm. And it was just great going back to that style of game where the guns feel big, the recoil feels, uh, you know, quite ferocious in a lot of ways <laughs> and you just feel like you're you know in a in a in a really intense war zone again yeah, and yeah. i and i love that uh initially straight away. I will uh, massively back that 2019's like reboot of Modern Warfare or whatever you want to call it, I think is the best first-person shooter feel that we have on the market. I think Titanfall 2 is the best first-person shooter like of the last 10 years or whatever, but Modern Warfare, like you said, the feel of the guns, the weight that you have when you're running around, you can mount on the corners and stuff. I always like that, like getting the drop on someone. Um, Modern Warfare 2 is interesting because when I first put it on, it was so similar to 2019's that I was like, it reminded me of Modern Warfare 3 when that first dropped, where like it was um, Activision starting to experiment with a yearly rollout like a few years in and it was like we just had Black Ops now we had Modern Warfare 3 and that was, that was the first one I dipped out on I had every single one to that point but I just didn't need it at that point and I dropped off it because it was just a bit too much of the same and so when I played Modern Warfare 2 ironically even though it's <laughs> the reboot of Modern Warfare again but it is the newest one this year's one um, I started playing it and I was like, yep, it's it's some COD. Yes. Like, like, it's always that same thing. We have the same conversation, not me and you, but the whole community has the same conversation every year. We talk about the spawns, we talk about the time to kill, we talk about, um, you know, weapon variety or whatever you get at the beginning and the, um, the weapon customization and everything else. And sure enough, on social media, people talking about the TTK being lower, um, which it is, you definitely die faster in this than you did in Modern Warfare. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, it's not as low as Black Ops 3. Um, but... It is the things like that that I think you're kind of forced to like almost granular in like a granular way zero in on and be like, well, do I want to pay money for this? And um, when it's just a small set of tweaks, like yeah. it's still giving you a cod. Um, and for my money, because they start me out with the M4, which is like my signature. I just like, love that anyway. This is my signature weapon. It's not. <laughs> I play the, I use the M4 a lot. Um, I was almost immediately fully satisfied by the beta to the point where I was like, I can go on this and have a death match, but I don't need the full version, let's say. Right. Um, because it's just giving me where I left off. Like it's, it's just more of it. Um, but if you play more of it, and obviously I played a lot of it across the weekend, um, you start interfacing more with the the little tweaks, the, the time to kill, the fact that perks roll out across the match, which is a massive thing. Um, but I don't think they explain that stuff very well. Like, no. I don't know what your thoughts on the perk stuff is. No, I would agree. You know, with a, with because it's a beta, it just sort of throws you all of the systems, mm. or at least the systems that it wants you to unlock, mm-hmm. and then kind of tells you to acclimatize to them on the day. And kind of <laughs> my brain, almost in the same way as it operates when someone is trying to teach me a card game I don't understand, right. just like ignores it. <laughs> so I was like, I don't even want to dig into this right like now. Like Homer Simpson just, just singing to yourself. 100%, I was like, just get me into a game, let me enjoy the game mm. feel, and I'll analyze it from that perspective. But yeah, I would echo what you said in terms of this being a granular update. You know, Call of Duty always 
does feel granular apart from you know the increases in fidelity that mm. 2019's game brought to the table uh, and this definitely is you know looking at the minor tweaks and seeing how they add up and fortunately for me mm. those minor tweaks were appreciated this time around I think already out the gate compared to the last two releases spawns feel better the time to kill for me uh, even though it is very quick uh, it feels satisfying right. and it still gives you some enough time to react in certain gunfights uh, where it still takes skill, it still takes mm. precision with your aiming to get those kills. And for me, the biggest plus, uh, and the thing that I enjoyed the most, was the level design as well. I'm so pleased that they kept 2019's bigger maps right. and uh, kind of more approaches to how you navigate through the level, like you said, being mm -hmm. able to open and close doors, jump through windows, climb up here, you know, j mount down here. You can uh, mount higher now as well. Yes. You can do the whole thing where you pull yourself right up on something that's like way uh, higher than you would be. Totally. They just feel way more detailed for me and more intricate and less kind of like a, like a film set. You know, sometimes when mm. I'm playing Cold War or even Vanguard to an extent, the, the, the levels feel like static film sets because I can't that's a really good point. arbitrarily go through this door. I can't peek up this window mm. or jump out that window or whatever. And this just feels more um, dynamic to me. I've seen a lot of people bringing in um, Rainbow Six Siege comparisons in terms of, you know, you really have to play the angles game in this, which yeah. is the whole thing with Siege um, and other sort of tactical shooters. I'm blanking on something else that was recent that was a tactical shooter. Um, but I guess it's in terms of, what's that VR game that you loved that was, um, you know, that was a Firewall. Whole, yes, uh, Firewall. Yeah. That was very, you know, here's your loadout and you will only win if you're picking the angles and scanning the scenery and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Call of Duty, you can, you know, by default can be very run and gun. Um, but I feel like they're trying to, ironically, with the TZK being so low, um, you can finish a dude in like a quarter of a second or something. Um, you're still encouraged to play the angles game and, you know, like watch out for every different um, corner that someone might be coming around or whatever. Um, but the perk stuff, like they've tried to make it so that um, you pick your loadout and you pick your perks and, um, They've also got rid of some stuff, like they've got rid of Dead Silence. I think that's the one that people are annoyed about. Dead Silence is like a power-up you can get now. Right. That uh, It's kind of like how it works in Warzone, where you pick it up and you press the two bumpers, mm -hmm. and it kind of like respawns that way, What's if the, I recall. There was a few, some that they've gotten rid of, and there's some stuff that um, overall perks roll out across a match, yeah. um, which it feels a bit like a response to Halo Infinite, because Halo Infinite's whole thing is that all your power-ups are just on the map somewhere, and everyone starts the same, and it's on you to go and find those things and use them for a bit, which I love. I think in Halo's, in, a con in the context of a Halo match, um, it works a lot better. Um, most of the time here, when they're just like popping up on the screen saying, you just got bloody whatever, I don't factor that in. I'm still running and shooting the same way. Right. Um, but I think overall, um, it's solid. I just feel like, you know, over like this, yeah, they've not really shown that much of it. And then now it's like, okay, the open beta is out. Um, very much dwarfed online by um, Queen stuff in the UK or GTA 6 especially. Um, I don't feel like I've seen anybody talking about this. Right. Um, like okay. Maybe your feed's more full of stuff than me, but I've yeah. not seen a single soul. It's probably just how the algorithm yeah, works, yeah. I guess. Mine's set up to uh, feed me Call of Duty <laughs> stuff. So I've seen some discussion on this, mm -hmm. but it's funny that you mentioned like you could well when you first messaged me about it you said you could probably take or leave yeah. this version and i think that's totally valid because part of the reason why i'm so excited for this release is not modern warfare 2 on its own mm. it's modern warfare 2 combined with warzone 2 right and when i was playing this beta i was excited for modern warfare 2 but i was more tantalized by the prospect of these mechanics, these weapons, mm. these systems being brought over to that Battle Royale mode. I was thinking about, you know, some of the levels that might be included. I was thinking about the gunplay, <laughs> thinking about, like, the new weapons right. that I might be able to use in this Battle Royale mode. And to me, they're so synergistic at this point that I factor both into the same package, mm. whereas to a lot of people, they'll only bother with one over the other. Honestly, I forget Warzone exists. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I, I I need to do a Twitter poll because I don't know if I'm the outlier not caring about Battle Royale. Like, you think of the, the statistics on everything from PUBG to Fortnite to Warzone, um, I just, I just, I do not care. Like, it's, I've, I've done my time with Battle Royales. I've played a lot of Fortnite in 2017 yep. um, and a lot of PUBG and a lot of, a, a decent amount of Warzone, but I was playing that, was it, what was the original version of that? Like Blacklist or something? Yeah, yeah. Black Zone man. or whatever what it was called? What was it called? Oh, they the did one some in Black thing. Ops, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they did like called? a- Blackout, um, maybe. 
Yeah, Blackout, yes. And uh, they did an original version of Call of Duty Battle Royale. That was when I first dove in. Like, oh my God, it's Call of Duty Battle Royale. Um, but Battle Royale as a thing just doesn't get me at all. Whereas, because the feel is so perfected now and the um, you know your altercation with people, it happens so immediately and it's such a test of reflexes um, mixed with different tactical options like the playing the angles game or you know putting a doorway between, a half open door between you and someone else and then picking them off or whatever it is. Um, that just makes me want to do deathmatch over and over and over again or team yeah. deathmatch. Um, because it's so immediate. And the thing that I love the most in 2019's Modern Warfare was just going on Shipyard and just just playing Shipyard over and over again, just constantly plugged in, um, like anime-style wide-eyed as the whole world flies past me and I'm just killing over and over again. Um, that's my Call of Duty. Like, I- One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, what culture gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Right. For, for this long, how long have we been playing these now? 15 years Maybe since Modern longer, Warfare yeah. 1? Yeah. Um, I know what I want from a Call of Duty, and unless you're going to throw something in my way like to make me engage with something, right. um, gameplay systems-wise, to, to show me what you've got that's new, I'm just kind of going to enjoy a COD and yeah. shoot some dude. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not boasting, but I've managed to come first in both of the first matches I did, and I was like, I'm kind of done, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not even being challenged by this. I love <laughs> so, that. Yeah, I totally get it as well. You know, like you said, you know, Gamers like us, we played a lot this of multiplayer suite for so many years, mm. 15 years. We played so much Team Deathmatch, so much uh, domination. And yes, Modern Warfare 2 is bringing in a lot of new modes that are, like you said, you know, fashioned in the style of games like Rainbow Six, these more tactical mm. modes where you only get one life and stuff, and they're fun. Mm. But to me, it is almost, the game itself is almost supp- supplementary to Warzone 2 because that's oh. what elevated the whole experience. Right. Like, I like Team Deathmatch as much as the next person, 
but that's not the kind of multiplayer experience that's going to engage me for two full years in the same way that it did in 2007. Mm -hmm. What engages me is the dynamics of a battle royale like Warzone, and similar to you, Scott. Like, mm. I've played a lot of battle royale games, didn't click with any of them. Didn't click with H1Z1, didn't click with PUBG, <laughs> didn't click with Fortnite, mm. uh, didn't even click with Blackout, you know, Call of Duty's first attempts. In fact, I thought it was quite bad. Yes, yeah, Warzone, for me, was such a cut above all of those um, other experiences that I almost don't even include it alongside them because mm. it feels like it's sing a singular entity. And to me, that has replaced the core COD experience in a big way, where to the point where I know I'm going to get Modern Warfare 2 and enjoy it. Right. But in six months' time, it's going to be an area that I jump into to level up guns so I can use them for <laughs> Warzone 2. And that's ultimately what it's destined to become for me that is, um No, that's fascinating because I wonder how... Because Warzone is free to play now, or a version of it is. Yes. And I wonder what, how they'll market everything and how they'll sort of differentiate Call of Duty from Warzone going forward. Because people refer to Warzone, have a game of Warzone, play some Warzone separate to Call of Duty. Um, yeah, for me, it's more just where COD sits in amongst everything else. I always have a casual game that sort of is the glue between my bigger games. And it's like when I'm on the way to the next thing, when I'm thumbing through a, a menu or a UI or a dashboard or whatever, I'll have a couple of games on insert thing. And for a while, um, across like this year or last year, it was Knockout Kings. Mm. Knockout King, Knockout, Knockout City. Knockout City. And, um, which I absolutely love. And then I went back on Rocket League for a bit. And then Call of Duty will be that casual game for a bit. Um, but that's all it's going to be to me. But yeah, I think... I'm curious how it, how it lands. Like I said, I feel like the general, the interest is there. Obviously, it's Call of Duty. Um, and with it being like the sequel to the such a well-received game in 2019. Um, but at the same time, for me, they've played it quite safe. And yeah. like it's, uh, yeah, you are just, 15 years in, you are just tweaking things like how fast are we going to die? How quick is X animation or whatever? Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but in terms of other shooters, um, we both dove into Metal Hellsinger, um, which is kind of an out-of-nowhere game. I was just looking up the developers before. It's a Swedish dev called The Outsiders. Um, it's their first game um, on this level, especially. Um, and it's literally Doom meets um, like Crypt of the Necrodancer with a like heavy, like really heavy metal soundtrack. Like, well, not necessarily thrash metal, some parts are. Um, but the hook, especially for me, because obviously I'm way more into metal and heavy stuff and whatever than I think you are, um, is the soundtrack. And it is the fact that they got like Matt Heafy and Arch Enemy and all these big names to like write songs for the game, which when you're, um, essentially you're just playing Doom, except that yeah. there's always like a beat counter running through the middle of the screen and you do more damage and you get more points if um, you time all those hits with that beat. So you're trying to sort of cock a shotgun and blast and then like twin pistols, you're, like you're hitting each one of those um, gunshots on the beat. What do you think of the whole... You finished it. I'm about halfway through. What do you think of it? I liked it. It's uh, it's neat, and I enjoyed it more <laughs> than I expected it to. Mm. And I expected it... What's the phrase? <laughs> I enjoyed it more than I expected to. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, because like you said, you know, um, I've had my fill of kind of Doom-esque shooters. Mm. You know, this year alone, I played Shadow Warrior 3, which is very similar to this game in terms of its enemy and encounter design. Mm. Obviously, it doesn't have the rhythm-based uh, feature underlying mm. it all. And I'm not a huge fan of metal. It's not necessarily my genre. Mm. Uh, not that I dislike it. It's just... You know, if, if they made a rhythm-based first-person shooter that was soundtracked by Phoebe Bridges-style music, <laughs> I'd have probably gone for that more, is all I'm saying. I would but still love that if they did, like, a really, like, low-fi. Lo I don't know. I don't know who Phoebe Bridges is. Some some sort of more tuned-down indie version of this would be great. Exactly that. But uh, I think it nails a lot of the fundamentals. You know, once you get into the flow of it, which is quite difficult to mm. learn because you're kind of fighting against your first-person shooter instincts to move and shoot as fast as possible mm. to uh, rearrange your movements to hit the time of the beat. Uh, once it got into its flow, it was, you know really excellent and like you said there when you're playing Call of Duty and on shipment and you get the anime eyes mm. and the world's going by you <laughs> I got that for the final few levels of this my issue is it's just incredibly short like I finished mm. it all in like three hours and yes there are reasons to replay um, different levels because you want to lock weapons that you can then mm. take back you can do challenges within those levels try to get high scores and whatnot. Uh, it just felt like more of a proof of concept than a fully fledged game mm. and it made me more excited about the sequel than it did for this title like I've played through it for three four hours now 
you know, finish the campaign and I've got a few good high scores and I kind of feel like I'm done with it already. Yeah, I think it's like it, it puts you in, when you get in the pocket with it, like if you like the music, you already find yourself getting in the groove even from the main menu. Like I love the fact that it, the way that it layers the music in game um, for the most part works, like based on the multiplier, it'll build up. Like you'll get um, sort of ambient stuff, then you'll get drums, you'll get a, you'll get the guitar alongside and then when you get like a times 16 multiplier, it puts the vocals on top. Um, I have an issue with that where even if you're like right on the edge of like the multiplier going from 16 to the one below it um, it just cuts off the vocal track they're not mixed so like well they all you know like it's it's just cutting off if you imagine all that parts of a track being like um you know in a line kind of thing you're just cutting off one of those tracks so even if you're mid word um and then you you know then you kill the next demon you're back on that multiplier the yeah. end of that word comes back in again it can sound a bit glitchy um that's my thing my only thing with um the way the the music is sort of put into it um is like the specifics of how it's mixed but i think when you're in that pocket if you love really heavy metal anyway and you can get out you can get on board with more scream your guttural vocals then slaying a bunch of dudes in a doom style acrobatic first person shooter as Mahifi from Trivium is like screaming his guts out that's a pretty good feeling yeah um, obviously entirely subjective but I think it's also very impressive how much they nail a first person shooter model like the fact that like I said it's one of their first games um, and it just it feels very competent immediately like there's a lot of stuff coming at you in terms of the feedback from shooting enemies like big high scores popping off like I think the weapons feel really meaty and, and like yes. you know yeah. very like heavy um, you know, and you are getting a steady rollout of weapons as well. I just got a crossbow last night. Um, the thing that annoyed me with it, and it's kind of just an overall, um, almost like a synesthesia thing where you've got such a perfect mix of like visuals and audio, and I'm plugged into this game that I'm in the pocket for it. And um, when you deny a player that, it reminded me of um, if you get killed in the middle of like a streak in Overwatch or you get killed in the middle of something in Splatoon, everything is so perfect and pristine and heading in a certain direction that when you're suddenly severed from that and given like a respawn screen yeah. or whatever, I've only died once in this so far, but it reminded me of that feeling of like, oh my God, I. I just want to. I just want to love this. Just let me keep going. I just want to love this. And the thing that keeps hammering that home in Helsinger is certain enemies that you have to change up your approach a little bit too much. And um, for me, like you fight some shielded enemies, which unless you have a weapon on you that does splash damage, you have to switch to the sword to take them out. Um, unless there's, I mean, you can kind of get around them and maybe shoot their armors. They're trying to shoot you, Halo style. Um, but you're switching weapons on the D-pad. Um, and it just, it's one of those things where you've got so much coming out. You're trying to hit the beat. You're like in the pocket kind of that it's quite easy for it to become a bit overwhelming in those specific moments, like factoring in new enemy types yeah. and keeping the beat. No, it is 100%, uh, especially early on when those enemy types are introduced for the first time. Like, because you're playing a demanding first-person mm. shooter that will uh, try to hurt you as much as possible, especially <laughs> when it comes to the bosses. Uh -huh. But at the same time, you're trying to be cognizant of the beat, trying to keep your attacks on beat to mm. make sure you do the most damage and then get the highest score. That is kind of overwhelming, and I think that people might be put off by the first couple of levels because they get into grips with the concept of the game, because mm. they're getting to grips with uh, the, the difficulty itself as well as how the weapons work. And quite truthfully, I don't think you get the shotgun is one of the first weapons you get. I don't think that's a good weapon to start with because it's mm. it it's cumbersome and it doesn't, you know, click to the beat in this in as natural as a way as I think the pistols do. Right, right. Uh, so I would I would swap the weapon rollout <laughs> around yeah but that said uh i kind of i agree and disagree with you in terms of the enemy design just because it is a roadblock when they first turn up but they also did eventually encourage me to not just rely on the pistols for everything i had to no that's out. true and i had these two sick kind of like boomerang style swords that i was throwing nice and uh, they decimated those shield guys right. so it was cool to have the pistols and then that as a backup and eventually when you get like the weapons like that, you can just press Y and B, mm. I was playing on the Xbox, mm. to uh, swap between those primary and secondary weapons, mm. and it was integrated within the flow much more naturally than it was to start with. And the only reason that I don't mind um, that flow being impacted is that it does reward the high-level play in that regard. Like, mm. it is a reward, and it is satisfying to hit the 16 times multiplier for as much of the level as possible, so True. you get the vocals for the full thing. And I think because it's a high-score-based game, mm. that is fine by me. If it was just a kind of vibes-based game where the focus was, you know, having a good time, I would probably criticize it more, but because it's kind of 
it's it's meant to be more demanding that no, that's, the reward works in terms of when it comes all together. No, me. that's definitely true. I think my thing is just like player communication. Like you come up against, you're fighting so many enemies that you're sort of told like hit them in in, uh, in beat in sequence or whatever, um, and you're fighting these different dudes. That I think if they came at you in rhythm, it might teach you a different way to take them out. Like if they hit you in like blasts of like or whatever, and you had to sort of like go with that to interrupt their hit or something because yeah. you are doing fatalities or finishes on beat as well. That when you but like I said, when you come up against someone who um, just has a shield and you're still you can still get points for uh, nailing the um the gunfire but it's like in that moment of keeping the beat you're trying to figure out a way to take them out yeah. whereas like i feel like that figuring that out should be a bit more uh, natural to the way that the game overall like it flows overall because like i said it has to take you out of that beat to teach you something which you've then lost the vocals you've lost the song like yeah. you, you feel so stupid when you lose all that stuff and it's like, okay i have to build it back up again and um, my only other qualm with it is that i'm four levels in and i fought the same boss every time um, I don't know if that's the case for the whole game. But, All, yeah. Oh, the bosses are the worst part about it because mm. there's so much uh, potential for really interesting bosses. Yeah. I mean, you're literally going through hell and yet every boss bar the very last boss, which is sick and that kind of makes <laughs> it worse because the final boss is visually spectacular. The song is great. I don't know if I can spoil what song it is. I don't think people will care about a song spoilers. No one will care about that. It's uh, it's the vocalist is the guy from System of a Down. Oh, so it's which, was, Yeah, which was the song that a, a vocal style that I actually recognized. So yes. I was like, this song owns. <laughs> it fits with the style uh, of level that you're in. It fits uh-huh. with the boss. But yeah, like you said, every so other cool. boss that caps off the other levels, it, it's just the same one with a different moveset. Oh my God, that's disheartening as hell. No, oh, no, it is, man. <laughs> you, you'll fight uh, multiple versions of it. Oh, no. You'll fight versions that kind of suck you into a lava pit. Right. And it's the worst part of the game for me, those boss fights. Yeah, it's. Uh, it reminded me of fighting that same creature, I forget the name of it now, in Halo 5, where you just fight the same dude three times. What do you mean, yeah? Um, yeah, kind of like that. But Hellsinger has a lot of promise. I want to finish it. It gives me Brutal Legend vibes, um, where even if um, the execution is a little bit spotty every now and then or whatever, the devs love metal, yeah. and they get metal. They get how stupid and over-the-top and fun and self-aware being a metal fan is. Um, and it's not about, like... So, like, some people try and do, like, big bro metal stuff. I think metal is goofy and stupid, and 80s heavy metal covers are a lot of fun and make a game that looks like an 80s heavy metal cover come to life, um, where you're playing as this character called the Unknown, who's just this female demon who just wants to kill stuff. And there's a bit of a story as Troy Baker narrates it and everything. Um, but, which I'm a massive fan of at this stage, um, doing his Joel voice, but a bit of a higher tenor. Um, but... It nails that feel of metal in a way that Brutal Legend did, and very, very few games do. Yes. Where they feel like the spirit of metal. That's such a hard thing to get right, and it's cheesy, but it, that's what metal is. This is it. I would have to defer uh, to you for that conclusion, because <laughs> I don't have the authority to say one way or another. So I was actually, when I was playing it, I was interested to hear what you thought about mm. it, because there's a metal novice. I was wondering <laughs> whether it felt too cheesy, too much of a pastiche, or did it have the heart and soul? But evidently, there's, it seems to have the heart and soul. Yeah, there's a bit... Even in that narration where um, Troy Baker says, oh, because uh, they're talking about like different entities. And then he says something about something being south of heaven. I was like, okay, yeah. well, that's Pantera. And then when you're fighting um, the boss for one of the first times, she screams, ride the lightning at you, right. which is a Metallica album slash song. So I was like, okay, yeah, be big and dumb and goofy and ridiculous. That's metal. But like, yeah. Can we uh, talk about Troy Baker, please? <laughs> you can, absolutely. I don't want to shoot on the guy, right? Troy Baker, <laughs> I need to clarify, is an amazing voice actor. Mm. He has given me some of my favorite video game acting performances ever. Mm-hmm. His Joel is incredible. I even love his Joker. It rivals yeah. Mark Hamill for me. It's it's, it's incredible. Totally. The dude is incredibly talented, but the dude is also everywhere. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm playing a game and I had this issue with Spider-Man Miles Morales, uh, I, just, I just hear Troy Baker and that's fine. But in a game like this, it almost takes me out because I'm just imagining Troy Baker in a studio reading these lines out and um, Hmm. I don't get a sense of character with him sometimes. I just get him as an actor. See, I feel like in this, because he's doing like a South American drawl, he's doing the Joel voice. It's just that it's a bit higher. It's not as low, but you could easily still hear him say like, hey, Ellie, let's do this or whatever. I feel like um, the version that, because he was in Miles Morales, he was the villain dude, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's when it's just Troy Baker 101. That's like when Nolan North was everywhere as Nolan North 101. Um, So uh, the thing is with Baker, I feel like the, um, Baker was everywhere post, uh, it was in 2013, like he was in um, Bioshock and Last of Us and then he was in Final Fantasy 13 
Like he was everywhere. And uh, I feel like he did that speech at the video game, video game awards where he was like, if anyone wants to get into voice acting, you can't, you wait for us to die, me and Noah, <laughs> and then you guys can come in. Um, I feel like he's not been in that much stuff, like Last of Us Part Two. So when, when I heard him again here, and I like the guy anyway, so I was like, oh, it's yeah. cool. But like, I feel like him being omnipresent is like this thing that was a few years. I thought he tried to address that. Right. But I guess he just has one of those voices where like, as soon as you hear him, it's like, oh my God, it's that guy again. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an equivalent movie actor, maybe someone like Matt Damon, right? If Matt Damon <laughs> turns up in a movie, right. I like Matt Damon. I like the work he's Bruce doing. Bruce oh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. But mm. I just, I can only see... Uh, him as Matt Damon now. Right. And I don't think he plays characters <laughs> as well as he used to. And that's kind of what the vibe I get when Troy Baker turns up. He's mm. still capable of excellent work, mm. but I don't see him embodying characters in the same way that he used to. And that was more of an issue with Miles Morales, where it just felt like Troy Baker coming in, not mm. Troy Baker coming in to do a character. I tell you what, the thing is, like, yeah, Baker definitely has that voice. That's why you get him in. Like, when he was playing Talion in the in the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games, that's just kind of just Troy Baker 101. Um, however, what was the name of the game where he played that creature called the Moor? That was great. Yeah, yeah the he, that's, medium. That yes, was the awesome. Medium. Yeah. He, yeah, he plays the medium, and you wouldn't even know it was him. It was like um, like Nolan North like turning up as um, like David or whatever in The Last of Us and realizing it's him later. Um, Troy Baker's turn as the Moor, which is like this weird, twisted, demonic thing, and he's stretching his vocal chords out. It's really, really cool performance. Um, yeah, if he did more of those, I guess it would be a healthier way or a, a better recepted way for him to be in the industry. I think so. And again, I'm, I may be asking too much because he is still <laughs> doing that kind of work. It's Making just the like, money. 100%. It's just like, yeah, that, that performance was such a surprise and mm. so bloody good. Mm -hmm. It's like you've got all of these great characters within you and I, I want developers to stop phoning Troy Baker up and asking for Troy Baker, if that makes sense. And that's, again, I'm trying to not shoot in him here. I, I think he's incredibly talented, like mm. I say. It's just an oversaturation issue, I think. I can see that. I think, um, yeah, for the other two games that we're going to touch on, we'll get through these a little bit quicker because um, both of these titles, we I've not spent that much time with them yet. Um, Return to Monkey Island dropped yesterday, though, on, on Monday, um, which is the return of Ron Gilbert, first time he's done a Monkey Island game since, I believe, Monkey Island 2. Um, it's been a considerable amount of decades. I don't know what your history is with the Monkey Island series, but it's one of the earliest game memories I have. Right. Um, it's just, yeah, I remember playing through the original one um, with one of my friends, and it's just, I've always loved that sense of humor, like those old LucasArts point-and-click games, and um, whether it's this or Full Throttle or Day of the Tentacle or whatever, all of them, that whole 90s burst of, like, um, adventure games was absolutely my jam. I didn't finish any of them back then, because mm. um, they were just so obtuse, and obviously that became a whole meme thing, or has become a whole meme thing. Um, which even this new game largely addresses, like, when you first go into it, you can choose which difficulty level you want, um, which is, do you actually want to, you know, have uh, hints and stuff, or do you want to have, like, hardcore or something, and it's, like, way more puzzles, way more obtuse stuff. There's also an option in the menu to turn on um, the writer's edit instead nice. of the director's edit, uh, where you'd get, like, every bit of dialogue they ever wrote, <laughs> and they tell cool. you, it's like, this is going to break the pacing, but it's everything we wrote, and it's like, cool, just give me that. Like, this is the dude's return, one of the veterans of the industry, one of the most important creatives in gaming history ever, returning to the franchise that made them or helped make them. Um, I am loving the fact that this exists. Yes. Like, I absolutely love the art style. I get that it had a bit of a backlash at the time when it first got revealed, and uh, Ron Gilbert, like, you know, had a whole bunch of backlash and left Twitter for a while. I think this thing is, like, charm and goodwill incarnate. I love that it exists. I love the story. It's like a whole thing about um, Guybrush Threepwood having a son, and the son's asking him about one of his other tales that he's been on, so he's recanting the tale of the time he returned to Monkey Island. Um, it's a great payoff to where Monkey Island 2 ends, and I just, I'm loving it. I love to hear this, Scott, because <laughs> I don't have any history with this uh, <laughs> franchise at all. I know that people who love it, love it. You know, yeah. I had a bunch of friends who were eagerly anticipating this game coming out on Monday or whenever mm. it was, uh, but for me personally, I don't have that investment. However, I would like to play it because it sounds mm. incredible. It's gotten incredible reviews. Great and I just think it's great uh, or at least noteworthy for a creator to come back after so long mm -hmm. and do either a straight sequel or a spiritual successor and get it right because we've had so many of those promise promises across gaming history. I mm. mean, let do I need to talk about Mighty Number no. 9 what <laughs> happened with that game where the creators are supposed to be coming back and returning and we have incredibly high expectations mm -hmm. in it out those expectations aren't matched but here it does sound from all of the uh, reviews that i've consumed that it's uh, a proper 
glorious return. Yeah, this is, uh, I was looking into the making of it, and um, he Gilbert always had an idea for what he would do for the next Monkey Island game anyway, um, and it seems like that's the thing that sort of just came together through different conversations with people working at Disney. Um, there was the whole thing across like the last sort of decade or so, obviously Disney buying up uh, LucasArts and then kind of relaunching the studio and all the different IPs that came with that, um, and different conversations that happened in the background, but Gilbert always knew what he wanted to do if he was allowed to do another story, and then somewhere along the way, Devolver ended up being the publisher, um, which you could not give it to a better publisher. Yeah. Like, Devolver could not be more creative first. Um, I always, I'm a big, big fan of, of Devolver. Um, and like I said, it has like a, a more sort of unique art style that's a bit more like Broken Age, a bit more like what Double Fine are doing. Um, very motion comic kind of thing for the modern day. Um, and obviously you have reworked versions of those characters that you grew up with in terms of the way that they look. I personally love that. I love the new LeChuck, the, the villain, like the way he looks now just looks great. Um, and the way that the UI works, they have modernized that stuff. Like you're not just finding an item and then, you know, the way adventure games work where it's like, I have a fish yeah. and then I'm just going to walk around clicking on everything and your character's going to say, I don't think I can use that here. Like this is what I was going to ask. 50 times, they've smoothed all that out. That's great, because that's what put me off all of those uh, classic adventure games. Mm. You know, Grim Fandango is one that I wanted to play <laughs> forever, yeah. but I just could not get past the obtuse uh, puzzles within mm -hmm, it. So mm -hmm. to hear that, that's been uh, more modernized without sacrificing the series' identity, I suppose. That, mm -hmm. to me, is uh, it's enticing Nectar. me into this franchise. Well, they apparently, um, during the making of, they apparently went to people who had never played a Monkey Island game and made sure they could get through it as well. I think that's what cool. the casual difficulty is based around. Now, I've gone with casual. I get that I'm a, I'm a hardcore oldie, but I can't be bothered to, to <laughs> scroll every single pixel of the thing. I just want to enjoy it. Um, you know, in terms of, I thought I'd see what the casual one was like, and it's nice enough for me. Um, there are buttons that you can push that will just tell you where the interactive points on a given screen are, and then it's kind of on you to choose which item matches up with something, but that's enough of a middle ground for me. Um, you also have a hint um, book that you can consult, um, where you can ask for hints, which was in the remaster of uh, Monkey Island when they put it on Xbox Live, um, which I think is a good, again, is a good middle ground. Um, and there's also like a trivia book that you can find that just asks you like just questions about the history of Monkey Island. So if you want to just have fun being a fan, yeah. you can do that. Um, it's just a very lovely package. And even the opening um, 40, 45 minutes is very much a recreation slash love letter to the original Monkey Island, which if you've not played the original in a while, um, feels very nice. And, nice. And, and, and knowing that Ron Gilbert is back at the helm and it literally says, you know, written by Ron Gilbert and David Grossman. Um, the fact that they're behind it, it just feels good. It feels good that it exists. Dude, man, what I'm getting from this podcast and the <laughs> podcast we did last week, yes. is that like, games are back, man. Games, games might be back, yeah. Games are around, they're orbiting <laughs> us, we're playing them, and we're having a good time. I'm loving the, I'm loving the good times. Yeah, we, uh, that's kind of why we titled the news. Uh, last week we did a talking point on what it felt like coming out of the Nintendo Sony conferences. Um, and we initially went with, um, you know, these conferences just saved video games, or video games are back or something. Um, I changed it over the weekend after I'd calmed down to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we need to talk about this week's video games. But there is something in the air. There's a lot to talk about. There's betas. There's conversations. Even the leaks have got people talking about things they're looking forward to. Yep. Um, and it's exciting. Um, we are sadly out of time, but the only other game that I was going to get to was Wolong Fallen Dynasty. We'll get back to that if you happen to check out the demo um, or whatever because it's over on PlayStation. But it's very solid. It's a solid Souls game. Dude, this is the thing. Well, I'm... This is where we could segue <laughs> into our entire demo discussion because yes. that's a game that I can't wait for because Neo, I loved. Same. But I will not play this demo because <laughs> the game is not out for months, but we'll save that conversation yes. for another time. We shall. For now, this has been The Wind-Up. I've been Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 